0: this morning, the passage is on Romans eight twenty-eight, And I would share with you from one perspective, this passage should actually hold weight in our own lives. It is that in this particular phase of life or whatever phase of life that you're going through, you will have trouble. It seems like sometimes in our lives, everything unravels at once. And then there's a constant flow of unraveling. Romans 8.28 became my anchor, not only as a new Christian, but also as a Christian who continues in the faith. Today, we are going to do our best to wrestle with this text, this one text that I would say, from one perspective, we could probably spend the next three weeks in. However, I don't have that much time. I got 45 minutes. And I'm going to do my best. To give you what I got in 45 minutes. Today we will delve in the riches of God's word. Focusing on one single verse that has this immeasurable resource for every believer. When our faith may be shattered or shaken or or when it may be tested. These verse and these words in this verse brings peace to our hearts. Sometimes we have wrestled with a series of setbacks. How many of you have wrestled with a series of setbacks? For the people who didn't raise their hand, thank you, sir, they're lying. But we all have have dealt with some type of setback, life issues, overwhelmingly hopelessness. Each day feels like an ever-ending battle of difficulty, hardship, distress, disorder, misadventure, suffering, heartache, heartbreak, pain, trauma, shock, upset, crisis, and setbacks. It's like one of the mothers in my church told me one time when I was going through a very difficult part of my life pastor just keep on living and that is the weight of who we are as Christians in the body of Christ we have to keep on living but what happens is that when we are overwhelmed with our emotions when we're overwhelmed with our feelings when we're overwhelmed with our thoughts it is hard to think straight let alone pray What am I talking to here this morning? You ever been so sick and tired? You're sick and tired, you don't even know what to say or pray? There is a confidence that we have in this text that it is a reminder of God's grace and mercy toward us. I love what one of my favorite teachers, preachers he's gone on to be with the Lord said, but Timothy Keller, Dr. Keller said this, he says, first, we tend to see our troubles as evidence that God has left us. Instead of asking God, is working in and through them for our good as he promises in Romans 8.28. Second, we are often waiting for God to do something to us or for us or wondering why he doesn't use someone to bring help. We essentially say, Lord, why don't you remove this problem instead of saying, Lord, please make make me the person who can handle this problem. When problems come, the first thing that we do we ask, why? Why me, Lord? Why do I have to suffer and everybody else is smiling? Why do I have this facade on as a smile, but inside I am dying with tears? I walk amongst people and it seems like everything's all together and yet I am crying in a fetal position. Why me, Lord? Have you been there? Have you walked down that street? See, I would share with you this perspective, regardless of the obstacles we face. God is continuously shaping our lives in accordance with his divine I want you to do something for me this morning. I want you to look at your neighbor. Go ahead and look at your neighbor. Pick one out. Pick one out. Don't, don't, look, don't, don't have Tourette's. Don't, uh, you know, I want you to pick one out. All right? You zoned in on that one? Come on, make eye contact. Make, don't look down at the floor. I see some of y'all I'm looking at the floor. Make look at your neighbor. And let them know. I want you to say this to them. You're going through a tough season. Come on, I need y'all to say that with confidence, man. Y'all Christians, right? Say it with some power and authority. You're going through a tough season. But it's going to be okay. God is working something for your good. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? Yes. And see what happens is that when you embrace God's word, you believe what God says, not how you feel. The Bible never tells us to feel. It tells us to what? know. My feelings are fickle. But my knowing of Jesus is eternal. Understanding. Romans 8, what we must realize, this is like the weight of gold in the book of Romans. This chapter 8 emphasizes the theme of suffering and glory, the the contents of of this chapter itself. It talks about this new law of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, and it gives deliverance from this sinful nature that we will have. and In other words, it's the full result of the gospel and, and the security of the gospel that we have in Jesus the chapter begins with there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and it ends with nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus in other words it's all about Jesus it's not about you let me step on some toes this morning we like to make it about us right when we suffer what do we first thing we say why me, Lord? Paul encourages them in this word. He he encourages them and he starts off the text by saying and we know. This meaning of known is to know by perception. If you would just study the Greek, it is the Perfect tense verb meaning something Paul knew and he perceived in the past and he continued to know it in the present. When it talks about the word we know, what it is referencing is that it is the first line that speaks of the human dimension of the relationship with God. In other words, our relationship with God is known. Not only by him, but by us also. And it is known in the sovereignty of who God is. The sovereignty of God is the fundamental theological doctrine for those who believe in Jesus. God's sovereignty implies that he himself possesses the highest and ultimate authority over everything. Not some things. Over everything. And what we see is particular here as we study this word and this phrase, we see that God's sovereignty extends to providential care for his creation. This means that God is actively involved in the world. We may not believe it, right? But God himself is actively involved in the world right now. We may disagree and we may believe that we can force God's hand. That's right. Oh, no. Even when you think you can by human means, God scoffs and laughs. God is actively in control. He's directing every event, every circumstance according to his will. And this is what divine providence is it suggests that nothing happens by chance, everything occurs within the framework of God's plan. There is nothing that happens. That we like, well, did you know this was going to happen, Lord? It was ordained. And it has been ordained. But it's been ordained for your good and his will. You can think about all the bad stuff that has happened in your life. Tragic. But God allowed it to happen so that it would build character in you and so that you would have and be a living testimony of his graciousness and mercy. God is the ultimate judge. And he administers this justice according to his perfect moral standards. He allows for this mercy and grace, and he forgives, and he redeems, and he, he, he does this no matter what our shortcomings are. How many of you like being with yourself sometime? <laughs> By the left, I can tell not a lot. But God loves being with you, even in your broken state. And he loves it because he sees Jesus in you, through you, and a part of you. There's a regeneration that takes place. And Paul, I love Romans because Paul wrestles with this throughout the whole text. Suffering will come to the saints. It may not be today. It might not be tomorrow. But it will come. And what Paul is doing, particularly at this point in time, he is he is basically saying in this context, he is saying, remember, in verses 26 and 27 last week that Ty went through, it talks about praying. And what he's talking about from this particular perspective that we know he is praying because and sometimes in our lives. Paul specifically says that the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf because we don't even know what to pray, when to pray, and how to pray. The older I get, the more I groan. I'm a pop-pop now. And I got the best compliment in the world for being a pop-pop. You look too young to be somebody's granddaddy. I said, go on ahead, girl, with yourself. <laughs> but then I realized that I was somebody granddaddy because I picked up my stuff muffin and I grunted and groaned. <laughs> she ain't missing no meals either, boy. <laughs> In that groaning, it was all types of pain, frustration, agitation, lack of self-awareness, lack of security, knowing that I can't do it by myself, but by the Spirit of God, I was able to grunt her up. <laughs> Paul encourages us. Paul encourages us to know something. He encourages us to understand the, 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 the sovereignty of God in who our Savior is. I will share it with you this way. We have certainty in our knowledge that as a Christ follower, this is not a vague hope. It is a certainty grounded on and in our faith. The Bible then shifts and it gives the qualifications. It, it talks about four those who love God. This is a covenantal promise. This is not a universal promise. It is for those who love God. You either love God or you are an enemy of God. There's no, no, no in between. You can't half love God and half love something else. Jesus talks about, I'd rather you be in the world and not of it, Right? But that love starts with God. This is how we know we love God. First John talks about it this way. We love God because he first loved us. We know how to love because we have been loved. And in John 14 and 15, it says, if you love me, you will keep my You see, loving God involves trust, obedience, a deep relationship with him. Loving God is, is profoundly deep and personal. It involves holding God in the highest regard, acknowledging his greatness and recognizing his significance in our own lives. It means placing our faith and trust in God's wisdom and guidance and and providence. And even when we're faced with uncertainty and adversity, we know that God still loves us. Love for God starts with a willingness to align your actions and choices to God's will. We all say that we love God. Wouldn't we all say that we love God? But how many of us are truly following God's will? I stepped on some toes right there. If you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. We try to love Jesus as a part-time lover. Let me let me let me help you there. Y'all know what a part time love is, right? A side piece. You know what that is, right? You want me to go a little bit deeper? You're good. You're good, right? In other words, your affections is not really for them. It's what they can do for you. But what God wants, God wants all of you, not some of you. And we have this attitude because God has given us grace, we continue on in the same pattern of the lack of love. Repentance and forgiveness is also an action of love. We change our ways, we change our thoughts, we change our minds. It is an acknowledgement that, look, I ain't right. How many of you have ever acknowledged that? I was, for those who didn't acknowledge it, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Come on, say it with confidence, neighbor. You ain't right. I, I want you to look at somebody on the other road. Just go ahead and say, neighbor, you ain't right. Now some of us in here think we are right and we're not. And this is one of the things I, I love about repentance and forgiveness. I can be not right, but at the same time, saved by the grace of God who loves me. Jesus who shed his blood for me. And it is his atoning work on the cross that, guess what? Made me right. Spiritually speaking. Loving God is about cultivating a deep relationship. With him and seeking to live a life that reflects him. And that love. In our thoughts. Words and action. The Bible talks about all things. And when he. Talks about all things, or in other words, in all things, God work. What Paul is emphasizing here. In this text is that God is sovereign and there is nothing outside of God's control. All things is comprehensive. There is no qualification or limits. What it means literally from this particular purpose is that it has an eternal purpose. And it refers to God's overarching eternal purpose. And suggests that every event of our life contributes to this grand plan that God has for redemption and restoration. He takes all things in life. All things good and bad. All things that are hard. All things that are happy things. Things that are sad things. Things that are positive. Things that are negative. Things that are bright things. Things that are dark things. He he takes all things. It's no matter what your situation is. Our suffering, our our persecution, our our sinful nature, our our pain, our lack of faith. It all encompasses all things. And God himself works to produce good. Paul himself, when we sometimes think about all things, we, we think about what? When things happen to us, we usually think about what? Bad things, right? But what are some of the good things that happen to us? What about some of the good things? I will share with you from one perspective, one of the good things that happened to me this morning is that he, I woke up. Another good thing that happened this morning is that I got an opportunity to preach. Another good thing that happened this morning You got to go through the pain of listen to me preach. (laughs) But also another thing that happened this morning as you sit in your chair, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is working through these words. And it is taking all things that you're hearing right now to what encourage you. Life can be hard. And what Paul is saying, he's, he's not saying that God prevents his children from experiencing things that harm them. How many of you have a testimony that's amazing? God can take the pain, the frustration, the disappointment, and he can turn it for good. This is why we can say all things good and bad. I will remind you, even in our darkest moments of life, God is at work. But notice, sometimes we don't feel like it, right? When there's too much month and not enough money at the end, right? Have you ever been in a position where you think that you've got, okay, I got this set up, I got this set up, I got this set up. How in the world do I get a nail in my tire? And to take everything that I've gotten set up and I put aside and I was all proud and a nail just happened to fall in my tire and it's right on that quarter thread where I can't get it plugged. I got to get it replaced. So my little $200 of fun money was gone. And my wife just smiled because I didn't have the fun money. She don't like me having fun money, but she likes having fun money. But God is working all things out for the good. Come on, man. Come on, man. Is that even in our darkest hour, in our darkest moments of life, God is at work and he is at work in us and through us. And what we see specifically here, it says work together for good. This isn't promising that everything will be good. But it will be for the good. How many of you in here have ever dealt with rejection? and the rejection with a smile. Come on now, right? How many of you ever dealt with rejection with a smile? You want to hear? Here it goes. There was a time in my life where I dealt with rejection. And what happens is that you, you 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 put your all into it, and then and from it was a career perspective. You put your all into it, and, and then all of a sudden you just deal with this rejection. It's like oh no, nope. not good enough. Sorry. You go. You start to question all these things. Well, God, didn't you leave? didn't you do this? Didn't you do that? I thought you was because it was confirmation after confirmation. But all of a sudden the door just <laughs> slams shut. So as you're dealing with these rejections, what, what, and you, you're, you're in your pity party because, you know, even as super Christians, you go through pity party. You remember Elijah, right? God is doing magnificent works, and yet at the same time, he he's having a pity party. So me personally, I was having a pity party. I was in my feelings. And I love the mothers of my church because they're so wise. The dudes are wise too, but I love just calling them mothers. And, you know, I was just sharing on my heart what, what's going on and what's happening. And she looked me right in my eye and said, Pastor, in her loving voice, their rejection of you was God's protection for you. I said, I said, girl, you don't preach my sermon. (laughs) And this is what we must realize specifically here. It is that God himself in 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 working things for good is that the idea of good in the context does not necessarily mean it's going to be absent from suffering but rather conformity to Christ. After what happened, I didn't even want to talk to them, support them or anything. But through the process of understanding how God works, I found myself praying for them. That God would be merciful toward them. See, the ultimate goal of a Christian life is not to avoid suffering at all costs, but to become more like Christ. Romans 5, 3 and 5 says it this way. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we think about good, good always surrounds itself or revolves around comfort, prosperity, and happiness. But these could be fleeting and superficial. What we see specifically here, and as you'll study in the next week in 29, you know, that is the key first is that God's intent is to make us more like Jesus. Suffering is a part of the Christian life. And what we must realize, this is what we experience in a fallen world. Jesus himself endured suffering, including going to the cross. And if Christ is not exempt from suffering, you're not either. I'm not either. But I don't like it. I don't know anyone that likes suffering. But in the midst of suffering, it does transform us through trials. It starts to get us in a perspective of like, okay, okay, Lord, I'm not doing it the right way. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me do it your way. And what happens is that God allowed things to happen as we suffer to be conformed to his will. It is that when you are broken, you're more humble. Right? And sometimes God allows trials to benefit us from an eternity perspective. Suffering can increase our dependency on God. You know, have you ever walked through life and life has been so tough that there is no one that you can reach out to to fix your problems? Even when you tried to call that one individual that's always there, The phone goes to voicemail. It is at these moments that God himself. Is having us to have this dependency upon him. It is a deepening of our faith. It involves the development of our patience. Endurance. And awareness. And suffering also has an eternal perspective. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, it says it this way. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We must understand... In this context, what good means, it's an opportunity in suffering to build our character for Jesus. God uses affliction and suffering to teach us about our faith. And God uses affliction to weaken our love for sin. Do you realize that? And God's definition of good often transcends our immediate comfort and extends to our spiritual growth and conformity to Christ. We see as the text transition, we are called according to His purpose. And the word called can be used in a different sense called our calling. And and literally what, what this word refers to is that the sovereign God does a work of regeneration in us and in our hearts to bring a new life in Christ. What we see Paul explaining specifically from this perspective, it it often refers to God's effectual call. His effectual call in in a sense that we are chosen and redeemed by God and we will ultimately be glorified by God. It is that God in his effectual call, he didn't need you. You know, we like to make it about ourselves. But in God's effectual call, it is not based on how good you look, it's not based on how fit you are, it's not based on your career choices, it's not based on your your fasting, it's based on God's own purpose. We are saved on the basis of whose we are, not who we are. And what we see specifically here is that the calling of God is a gracious effort by God to ensure our salvation. How do you know that you're called? I want you to think about that for a moment. How do you know that you're called... And what you're called to. And see, we're called by God's initiative and his power. And it's never accomplished apart from faith. And the contents of God's word, especially the gospel. It is through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit that God himself brings men to himself. The preaching of the word must go forth so that the call would be heard. And what we must realize, especially when we talk about this this aspect of calling. One of the things I really want us to understand about the effectual calling, and I don't want to go too deep. This is why I say we can probably spend about two to three weeks in this text. You remember in Genesis, and the first thing God said, or one of the things God said, let there be light. And in the act of salvation, God does the same thing with us. He starts the light of the gospel in our own spirit. He, he awakens us. We, we see this throughout the text, when, when even the Bible, when he calls forth Lazarus, right? Do you think when he calls forth Lazarus out the grave, Lazarus says, okay, wait a minute, Lord. Come on now, right? Lev says, Here I am. <laughs> this is the effectual calling of God. And what we must really understand specifically from this per- perspective in this text is that God does this through the might and power of his Holy Spirit. And when he does this, he moves graciously. The text tells us according to his purpose. And this is the source of every believer's security in Christ. It is the purpose of God to call all things to work together for his good because his children are his divine purpose. Paul talks about this, he talks about God's purpose in the broader sense. But it's also a divine sense that God strategically has a purpose for each and every one of us. You are not here on the face of the earth to be yourself. You are here on the face of the earth to glorify God and to make him known. That is your purpose. It's to glorify Jesus and to make Jesus known. In your life. And as God sovereignly works all things. Good relationships. Bad relationships. What happens is that they cross your path. And they have this divine appointment. With a God fearer. Who loves Jesus. Who lives a life according to his plans and purpose. And when they are in the the darkness of life. It is that the power of the Holy Spirit. Runs rampant through you. Not only by your life. But by your words. And your actions. What we see specifically here in Romans 28. God's purpose, his divine plan is to save those who he called. And what we'll see in verse 29 next week, those he predestined. But he predestined them to become conformed to the image of his son. Jesus. Even said from one perspective, but as many as I've received, received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in the name who were born not of blood, nor to the will of flesh, nor to the will of man, but of God. I will share with you this way. Understanding God's calling on our lives is a deeply significant and transformative aspect of one's spiritual growth. So, how do we apply all these things? How do we apply all these things we just learned here these last few minutes? First, we trust in God's sovereignty then we have to redefine what is good. We have to align what is good with what God's purpose is and what he desires for us. We are to seek God's purpose and calling for your life. God, continually seek And he wants us to understand our purpose. And trust whatever it is that he has for it. It aligns with his will. We are to deepen our relationship with God. Draw closer to God in love and intimacy. Knowing that through this relationship... God will allow you to experience the fullness of his promise. And finally, embrace adversity as an opportunity for spiritual growth. I'm reminded of a time in my life. And we all have times and we go through seasons. And this season was very, very hard for me and my family. We went through a tragic experience. We were part of a church and the church was growing and and, and we were loving on people and and, and we just saw God's hand moving and, and all of a sudden this tragic event took place in our life. And when people are in pain, they don't know how to act. Let me just be real with you, right? When people are in pain, they, they don't know how to act. And this experience that me and my wife had, it, we went from being celebrated after everything was said and done to tolerated. I knew that God had a call in my life, but after that experience, I'm like, God, I don't, I don't know. Because if you loved us, you would have never allowed us to, to go through this. You would have never allowed us to experience such pain. You would never allow us to experience such rejection. You would never allow us to see people that, we, we, that sat on our couch and weeped and cried and we ministered to and we brought them back to restoration to look at us like we were dirt on the ground. And it hurt. See, when you've been hurt enough, little stuff don't bother you anymore. You're just saying that, too. Right. So after this had taken place, what we see and what happened in our lives, you know, about the power of the Holy Spirit, God says, OK, I need you to get off the get off the sideline, baby. You got to get back into the game. And I went not share it with my wife. I said, babe, I think God is telling us to get back in the ministry. I know that you're hurt, but I'm going to love you through it and I'm going to keep my hands around you and I'm going to keep my hands around my, my babies and we're going to be all right. We, I know we feel like we were the scapegoats. We felt like the sin was tatted on us and then we were pushed away. But God told me to move. He told me to leave and as we left we, we we limped away and we had these these statement of faith and and we says okay I, we're just going to go to this church and you know we're not going to get involved and we're not going to do this and we're not going to do that we're just going to because we've already dealt with tragedy we're just going to hold and stand in our little holy bubble we're going to be convenient and we're going to be conformed to our own lives and we're going we're gonna to make sure that it's okay with us and, and we're not going to worry about anybody else and, and then all of a sudden the pastor of the church that I was a part of he says hey uh, uh, don't you used to preach? I said, yeah. But all I want to do is I believe God is calling me. I just don't know in what. So I can be with you for a long time. I can be with you for a minute. I just don't know. But, you know, if you want me to clean toilets, I'm good at cleaning toilets because that's how I started my ministry, cleaning toilets. He said, let me get back with you from that moment, he called me back in and he said, so you don't know how long you're going to be here, but you know that God is calling and want you to be used. And I said, yes. Great. We need you to be the youth minister. One part of ministry that I've never, ever thought about dealing with somebody else's kids. (laughs) You know how you deal with somebody else's kids, right? To keep a long story short, at that moment, he saw the hand of God on me. He ordained me to ministry, laid his hand on me with the elders of the church, and called me. As he says, I am not calling you, I am just ratifying God's call on you and your family's life. And see, in the midst of pain, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of Trying experiences. I could not see the good that was going on. Why would a loving God allow me to go through all these different things? And all I did was try to serve him. But what I did know. Is that through the pain. Through the tears. And through the disappointment. God himself was preparing me and my family for what we would go through as ministers of the gospel and guess what it is good amen let us pray god romans 8:28 reminds us that you are in control And you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. This is a promise that anchors us in life's storms. It is our source when life seems the bleakest. Father, I ask that as we walk in obedience, we can rest assured that our sovereign God is leading us. Into a glorious destination. Father help us renew our faith. Knowing that nothing can separate us from. Your love. And may your light. In darkness. Comfort us. In trials. And keep us. In a place that we would always be willing and loving to submit to your plans. It is in Jesus' mighty name we all say, Amen.